Hi everybody, Andrew Bray here again. Again, I am Barbara Bray's sound designer for her Rethinking Learning podcast. Also, I'm her son, and you may be used to me speaking to you a little bit before each podcast because I am very excited for Barbara Bray's new book, Define Your Why. I'm speaking with her right now so that she can tell you all a little bit about this project that she's been working on for so long. So, Mom, tell us a little bit about Define Your Why. <laughs> I'm still defining my why. I'm, I'm learning every day. I just had a great time listening to George about his new book on Innovating the Box and UDL. And I was really excited that it all started coming together when he was talking because I put that in my book. You've written about universal design for learning before in one of your previous books. In chapter five, you talk about it here in Define Your Why. What is different now for you when it comes to describing and utilizing universal design for learning? Yeah, let's call it UDL and make it easier for you. <laughs> yeah, you bet. <laughs> um, well, I love Katie Novak, and she contributed to George's book. And I used a lot of her resources. And one of the things I love is that UDL starts with the why. And when we wrote the other books, it started with the what. Just like mm -hmm. I was telling in one of the previous episodes, you know, what I decided is I needed to really rethink some of the materials and the resources that I created around the uh, what instead of the why and and then got help, talked to focus groups and got some ideas. So that's what we have in the book now. I love it. Well, folks, if you are motivated and interested in reading Define Your Why, you can find it on Amazon.com. Either you can search for Barbara Bray or search for Define Your Why or what is the shortcut bit.ly address that they can type in? It's bit.ly slash define your why hyphen book. I try to keep it as Excellent. short as I could. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Folks, thank you very much. And stay tuned to listen to a conversation between Barbara Bray and George Chorus. Welcome to the Rethinking Learning Podcast. I'm Barbara Bray, and this is where I have conversations on learning with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and difference makers. Well, I have someone here who I've known for a long time. In fact, I'm just in awe of him. I really love having you here today, George. Uh, this is George Chorus. Barbara, I've known you forever, too, and uh, I really appreciate how you really give voice to so many educators and just really inspire a lot of people. So it's really an honor to actually be able to do this with you today. <laughs> I'm, a, you know, I mean, I really care about you a lot and I love your books. I love your way you speak, <laughs> but I want to just, okay, I'm going to make you a little, uh, tell a little bit about you just real quick, just to introduce you. So George is an innovative teaching, learning and leadership consultant speaker, as well as the author of The Innovator's Mindset and his new book. I couldn't put it down. Innovate Inside the Box. Formerly, he was a division principal of innovative teaching and learning with Parkland School Division, located in Stony Plain, Alberta, Canada. You know, I love Alberta, by the way. It's really beautiful. If you can handle the minus 40 days, then it's a pretty good place to live. The minus 40 <laughs> days make me want to move, but the other ones That's are good. That's pretty cold. Yeah. Maybe what you need is another place. You can come down here to California. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> 
And you also have 20 years of, maybe more now, 20 years of experience as an educator in a myriad of roles, all from K-12 and beyond. Welcome, George. Like I said, thanks for having me. I just, I, I know that you've really given voice to a lot of people. And I really, I, I know that a lot of the things that I share, you share, and we both really believe in. So it's, it's great to be able to sit and chat for a while. Oh, this will be fun. Well, I always like to everyone to start with their background. And yours is really interesting. You're, at least you're with your, your family and everything. Tell me a little bit. Yeah. So actually, my parents were both immigrants to Canada from Greece. They basically left after the Greek Civil War, and my dad fought in that. And they actually met in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. They actually didn't know each other in Greece, but they met um, when they were there when they were in Canada. And just really a huge influence on me, obviously. And I'm the youngest of four kids. And the thing with my parents is they really focused on the importance of education because my mom had a grade six education, my dad had a grade two education, and they just saw education as a way to a better life. And so it's it's really interesting because I was thinking about this. We're really the first high school graduates out of our family, it, let alone we have, I think, probably nine or 10 degrees between myself and my siblings. And so we really focused, we really were focus on how education was kind of a way to a better life. It would create opportunities. And there's something I'm really, really important to me to this day. But I also know that education has to continuously switch and, and change to ensure that it's not about getting kids to college. It's about helping kids find a pathway to success that's meaningful to them. And I think that's something I'm really adamant about. But I know that when I was a kid... Uh, my parents really focused on education and why it was important. And I actually had no interest in going to university. My parents forced me to go. And I ended up uh, getting a four-year degree in six. And <laughs> uh, and because I wasn't really interested, and I wanted, then I decided to become a kindergarten teacher. And kindergarten is the only grade I never taught. I've taught grade one to 12. Then I was a vice principal and a principal. And as you said, I worked in central office for a long time. And so I've had a lot of different roles, a lot of different um, people that I've learned from over the years, both in my community and people all over the world, like yourself, Barbara. And it's been uh, really a fascinating journey. Uh, as you and I were talking before we got on the podcast, my brother, Alec, is huge influence on me, got me into a lot of the stuff that I'm doing today. And he really pushed me as an educator, but we focus on different things. But I'll tell you that having someone who has no filter because they're your brother and they don't really care if it upsets you is a really hum humbling, <laughs> humbling thing, but really beneficial to growth, right? Because you you know he's going to tell, he's always going to tell me exactly what he thinks about the stuff I'm sharing. But I like that. Yeah, but he always is supportive. He's, he's hard on me privately, but supportive of me publicly, which I've always appreciated. And yeah, I'm still, I'm still, uh, even though I'm about five inches taller than him. He's maybe not that much taller, <laughs> but uh, I'm still, I'm still the baby. I'm still the baby brother. And I really look up to him and my, my other uh, two siblings as well. They've had a huge impact on my learning. Well, I'm the oldest of four girls. So it's, yeah, they, right now I'm kind of like protecting. I love my family and my sisters. It just means a lot. So I know what you mean. We could go on and on about that, but now I want to talk yeah. about your own family. Yeah, we have a daughter, uh, Kalia, and she's uh, about three and a half years old. We mm -hmm. actually, this is this is the first time. This is we're actually have another 
kid on the way really? uh, in May. Congratulations! Yeah, so that's, that's like that's like breaking news right there. Yeah. And we don't we really don't share we don't really share that too publicly because we've had some complications. It's been you know tough, but we're mm. we're really excited and yeah. It's I felt like the first couple of years of being a dad was super hard because I felt my daughter was connected to my wife and you know I'm gone a lot and she'd always run to her. So this is kind of like, this is my time to shine. I feel we're just, my daughter and I are becoming very, very close and it's just, yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing better than being a dad oh, it, for sure. George, it's just, you've shown pictures of her. It, I mean, she's yeah. the most beautiful. <laughs> I agree with you a hundred percent. She is the most beautiful kid. I love her. Oh, yeah. um, I know you're a huge fan, sports fan. Huge. I mean, to, you told me, you said you don't even listen to educational podcasts. <laughs> No, I do. I do a lot of work in education. I, I obviously read quite a bit. I'll catch the podcast here and there, but a lot of times I'll finish speaking all day about education and and I just need a break from it. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually is, uh, is good. And Mm -hmm. I've been looking a lot about that because you see a lot of kids going into club sports and they play basketball 24 seven all year long. And Wayne Gretzky, I, I just wrote about this actually. Wayne Gretzky is considered the best hockey player ever. <laughs> and his thing mm-hmm. is that kids should not be playing club sports. It actually doesn't develop you that well when you only are focused on one thing. And so I think that part of me is I want to make sure that I connect with outside of education because I think it it's good for it's good it's a good modeling for kids by the way i think that when we are 100% focused on education we lose sight of you know things that make us humans and make us personal and so yeah i tend to spend a lot of time listening to other stuff playing sport you know playing sports really trying to be active but listening to I, I love uh, listening to sport podcasts. It gives me away from education, but there's all, always times I'm hearing things that I'll actually start connecting to the work that I do. And I think mm-hmm. that's, a, I am sure, I know you've read both my books, Barbara. I think that's something I try to do in education is make it so that the stuff I'm talking about ties into the rest of the world, not just into, it's not just education focused on education, mm-hmm. focused on education, right? I think it's really important that you make those connections to outside of schools. Oh, I agree. And I'm, <laughs> I was probably, you know, fighting for my team. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. When you were fighting for, I was fighting oh, for the Warriors right, and safe. you were fighting for the Raptors. <laughs> oh, one more. You, you even named your dogs after a team. <laughs> yeah, actually my first, um, I'm, I'm a lifelong Lakers fan. The, ah. the Raptors, the Raptors, the Raptors are a, uh, is more of a Canada thing than it was a team thing, but now I'm obsessed with them just because their team has run so well. Yeah. And just, I love their, their general manager, or I think it's president now. Messiah jury is probably one of the smartest minds in sports. He's, he's absolutely brilliant huh. and I love him. but yeah, I've been a lifelong Lakers fan. So actually my first dog was named Kobe. <laughs> so I was pretty oh. destroyed about the Kobe. Oh, Bryant. Isn't sweet, that sad? Yeah. Oh, very sad. Yeah. And I was actually about 30 minutes away from there when it happened. So it was really? pretty, yeah, I was just happened to be there. Yeah. That was just devastating. And it's, it's just devastating. You know, I, I never really understood why people got upset about celebrity deaths until that happened. And now I get it. Cause yeah. this is someone basically mirrored my life. We're about the same age, but it was really hard <laughs> To hear it because of the daughter. Yeah. That was the worst. That was the worst. That, that to me was just, and like, you know, other families, you know, like one family lost both their parents and they have two 
kids. It's just it's just the families affected by that. But yeah, it's it's been yeah, it's been really sad. Uh, but my first dog, I said, was named Kobe. Then the second dog right away was named Shaq. And they would fight literally all the time, which was similar to Kobe and Shaq on the team. Mm-hmm. And now I actually have Odom and Cooper. <laughs> and they're actually both named after Lakers as well. But yeah. you'd have to be a pretty big fan to know the the Laker, the specific Laker players that they're named after. Kobe and Shaq pretty much, you know, outside of basketball, people know them. But Odom and Cooper... Yeah, I'm a huge, yeah. huge animal lover too. Huge dog lover. So me too. I had I had goldens, and right now because I can't because of travel and stuff. But I just right. I just love. I've always had dogs. So yeah. Well, I'm I'm sorry. You know, we had to have that experience with Kobe because that is. Uh, it's, I love that he was a girl dad. I love that. And I'm so yeah. sorry what happened to his family. It's just, yeah. I was, I was on the road and I never, I got, I, it happened on Sunday and I didn't get home till Monday night. And my daughter was sleeping when I got home. And I'll tell you, we've been, I, like, she's just wondering why, like, I will not let her go. Leave her alone. You had to hug yeah. her first. I know what you yeah. mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's nothing like yeah. your family. And, yeah. Okay. So, how did you get started? Were you a teacher first or did you go right into administration oh, yeah. or? No, no, no. I I was uh, teaching several years. Basically, what was interesting about the beginning of my career, as I said earlier, I wanted to become a kindergarten teacher. And so I applied for a kindergarten position, had seriously the best interview ever. I was was actually impressed with myself how good the interview was. (laughs) I was kind of surprised. And I could feel it from the people interviewing me. But they kept focusing on when I was in a university, I actually made a website for a student council. So I was part of the student council and there was one role that was available and I just wanted to be on the student council. So I took it and it was to make a website, basically do the website. It was actually called uh, Electric or Electronic Media Communications Officer. Like that's what it was called. It was something super weird like that. But so in the interview, they kept asking me, they kept asking me about this website. And I was like, okay, this is weird, right? Like, I don't know why they're asking me this because I'm applying for a kindergarten job. So they called me right after and they said, hey, we loved your interview, but we decided to go with someone else. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, like if that, I was like a really good interview. And if I didn't get it there, I might be in trouble. Maybe I'm <laughs> kind of overselling myself here. And so I was in starting my career. And about two weeks later, I phoned the superintendent and asked that, Hey, I'm new to the profession. Can you give me some feedback on my interview? And he actually said, well, surprisingly enough, we were going to call you today. We, we loved your interview, but we just had a high school technology teacher position open up. And when we had your interview, we thought you'd be the perfect candidate. So we want to actually offer you this job. And I had no interest in teaching high school. I had no interest in teaching technology. And I talked to my my supervising teacher at the time. And I said, hey, what do you think about this? She said, it's super hard to get a job. I would take anything you can get and just make sure you you do really well. So I took this high school technology job, not really knowing what I was doing. And basically we were, you know, it's, you're in a classroom and you're doing modules and I'm working with the students. And I'm literally showing up there probably about 30 minutes before because like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just already, like, I'm literally, I actually got excused from final exams because I got the job before I even graduated because they needed someone right away. So I would go into this classroom and I would know some stuff, but I would say to the students, Hey, does anyone, does anyone know how to do this? Does anyone know how to do this? Does anyone know how to do this? 
and the students were jacked. Like someone would pretend that they didn't know everything and actually leaned on the kids. So I learned a ton from those students and I hope, you know, I hope they learned something from me as well, but it really shifted my perspective on education and how I think today that, you know, and I actually just did a video on this just today, to be honest with you, about the idea that the teacher is, is the, a lot of teachers are pushing back because they're like, well, isn't the teacher the expert? I'm like, oh no, totally the teacher's the expert. They're just not the sole source of information. Mm-hmm. And when a lot of people hear that, they think we're talking about, you know, how you have access to the internet and YouTube and blah, 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 which is true. But it's more for me, the mentality that I have a bunch of students in my classroom who know a ton of things that I don't know. And so how do I create an environment where I actually learn from those students as well so that we become smarter as a whole? And mm. so that that classroom experience, going into something I, I really didn't understand and basically just taking a job really sh- shifted how I started thinking. And so like I still taught, like I ended up teaching like grade four for a while, teaching grade seven, but even they weren't technology class is that technology, teaching that one technology class really had me think different about how I taught and that and shifted how I thought when I became an administrator, you know, versus the work that I do today. So I think that was a really good experience for me. And at the time it was the like, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever, you know, like I wanted a job and I'm doing something that I have no interest in doing and really started a path that I, I, you know, I had no clue how much that, how important that was at the beginning. Well, to go from kindergarten to high school, (laughs) I can't even imagine how you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I had no, I had no interest in that at that point in my life, but I I loved it. I loved working with students at that level and yeah, it was really interesting. And I, like I said, I've taught at every level and Hmm. I remember saying like, I don't want to teach high school. And then my first job's high school. And then I got into an elementary. I'm like, well, you know, high school is actually pretty good. And I'm excited about elementary, but I'm never going to teach middle school. And then I taught middle school and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And there's like, yeah. it's different, right? You like, yeah. you have different jokes. You have different jokes for each level kind of thing. And <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. I was for sure the funniest person in the world to grade two children. <laughs> To grade two kids, they thought I was hilarious. And it was really because I was tall. That was like, oh, they just asked me, you're so tall. I'm like, yes, I am. I am a very tall person. They just loved it. So it was kind of funny. Well, it was probably different in high school then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that yeah. that is a riot. That well, yeah. even being able to go K twelve gives you so many, so much experience. So when did you decide to go into administration? Well, the interesting thing was because of that first job, basically I had been become this tech guy. Like I had ah. become this tech person and and it was always that was always a focus. So I applied for a tech it was like a tech coordinator job or something like that. And I didn't get it. And then this assistant principal job came up and I just said, you know, I'm gonna apply for this. I never really thought twice. Like, I never really had any aspirations to go into administration. And I applied and I got an interview. And I think I got an, to be honest with you, I think I got an interview because it was a job that opened in the middle of summer when everyone's on vacation. And I don't think anyone knew that it was even posted. So I think, you know, like four people applied. So I think I just got an interview by default. Honestly, that's... Oh, I, I, don't, I, I think, think you... Well, you know that. I don't think so. Anyways, <laughs> we we uh, we we actually it's funny because the the person who interviewed me was the going to be the principal, so they were going and they were just became the principal probably about a month earlier, and they hi- had to hire an assistant principal. Uh-huh. And so I got into this interview, 
And it's a gentleman named Archie Lillico. Amazing leader, amazing person, huge influence on me. But at the time of the interview, we're about probably about two questions in. And I know this is going to sound weird. We started fighting and arguing in this interview and basically... Like pretty close to yelling. I don't say, I don't think we were yelling at each other, but it was pretty close. And it was just really felt contentious. And I was like, I didn't know him at the time. Whoa. And I called my current, the principal I had at the time. And I said, that was literally the worst experience I've ever had in my life. And it, it's funny now listening to my, the other story. So I thought I had this really awesome interview, didn't get the job. And then I thought I had the worst interview. And then he called me two days later and said, Hey, I, want to hire you. And I was like, what, what, I don't, what are you talking about? And so he actually said to me and I'll never, and this is like one of those moments that really shifts you. He said, you are the only person who challenged me on some of the stuff that I'm saying. And what I'm looking for is not someone who agrees with me on everything, but someone who will make sure that I'm doing what's right for the school. And we'll push back on ideas that they won't just support me because of my title. They, we want to do the right thing. He said, now behind closed doors, we can argue all you want, but when we decide to go and make a decision, I need you a hundred percent to back me on it. And I said, yeah, I, I can do that. I wow. said, there's no, there'll be no problem to disagree with you ever. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you if I don't agree with you. And yeah, so that, that became kind of a way of thinking for me and how I, do my work today, right? Like I purposely, and funny enough, when I became a principal, the person that I hired was a teacher where I was assistant principal, where my first day, her and I got into an argument about something and it was just really, it felt contentious and whatever. And then I got to know her and we had a lot of the same values, but she would always tell us if you didn't, if, if we, you know, if she thought we were doing something wrong. And so we really leaned on her because she, because you, you don't know that right away about people. You don't know if they're there for the right reasons. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I got to know her and she would push back for the right reasons. And so I hired her as my assistant principal and she did the same thing for me. She pushed me. She would challenge me and hmm. she just, she's amazing. And then she became a principal. So the, the thinking for me is I don't need someone who thinks like me. I already have that. That's me. I need someone who thinks different and actually will appeal to different people in the building that I don't appeal to. Hmm. So it's, it's a lot of that is those, those certain experiences that I've had have really shifted and made me think about like why I do what I do. You know, I think that's maybe one of the things I read in one of your books was the power of not always agreeing with somebody. I, yep. Yeah. And I, you know, I can hear that because I'm, I feel that way sometimes about social media because <laughs> I, yeah. and uh, I put something up that I wanted people to challenge and people would de- you know, direct message me. They didn't want to talk about it to the world. Yep. So I, I agree, you know, we need to be able to have those kinds of talks though. Yeah, and I think that, I think it's important, but I also think that the the thing for me is there's always got to be a relationship in place mm-hmm. that sometimes you're getting challenged not because of the idea, but because someone might not like you or whatever, and they're just looking for things to argue with you about mm-hmm. for whatever reason, and and so it's not that's not always the intent. That's not always the way it is. But if you have the relationship with somebody, you know, for me, I, I knew with Archie and Cheryl, the people that I worked with, they wanted me to be successful yeah. and they would push me 
because if I was to do the thing that I was kind of set up my mind on doing at that point, I wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be good for the school. It wouldn't be good for the kids. But I knew I had that relationship with them. And so I think that's something for me that's really, I always make sure. And it's, it's I guess for me too, right? When I know somebody is doesn't have any relationship and they're really going at you with an idea. My, I always think, what would they do if my daughter is in the classroom? Would they build that relationship or they just, Mm. and then maybe that's, maybe that's a dad, maybe that's like a new dad thing. I don't know. No, but I, I do, I do, I do a lot of that thinking about, you know, I think when you become a parent for me, I think a lot about, is this, is this the type of experience I would want for my own daughter, you know, in a classroom? Well, you know, you brought that up and we're going to talk about your books because Sure. I think I want to go almost right into your new book because it brings up a lot of that you had in the first book, but the first book didn't go as deep with the UDL. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. you know, I can see why you brought in Katie Novak and brought in the UDL because it really expanded what you yeah. did in the other. Do you want to just kind of do a little overview of that? Yeah. So the innovator's mindset, my first book, the, the way that I would describe it was that it was a book, book focused on thinking about innovation education, and it mm-hmm. could apply to all K-12 educators, but really was applicable to administrators and leaders mm-hmm. and people. And that was kind of the focus. And so I, and I wrote about this in the book. I actually, I think I had probably like 125 star reviews. I never had one review on Amazon that was under five stars at the beginning. <laughs> and then I got my first review on Amazon that was a three star and it was like oh. devastating. Oh. I was like, what? <laughs> like the streak is over. And it was someone, oh. it was someone who actually wrote, Hey, uh, like I like the ideas that you have here, but there's really not really any practical. And I don't think they said there's really practical. No, they actually didn't say there wasn't any practice Said I would have liked more practical examples of things to do specifically in the classroom. Hmm. And so I, I really kind of sat on that and I was bothered by it at first. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, oh, okay, like I actually understand that perspective because it is like, like, you know, like I said, the language was, I would have liked to see more. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair because I did write, you know, I definitely shared some teaching strategies, but it was more about the kind of like big picture thinking, a lot of leadership stuff. And so I felt, um, so Katie Novak and uh, I met and I'll tell you, like, I don't know what she started bugging me about writing a second book. And I was like, I have no interest in writing another book. And then she just kept going and going and then just kind of hit me one day and just kind of the framework and thinking about the process of it. And then I thought about that comment and thought, you know, maybe that's what I need to do is really write this, you know, and this, the opposite is that this is a book that's for K-12 educators, but it's more specifically geared towards teachers. And so I know that Katie, I have the big picture thinking and I can give strategies, but the thing with me, Barbara, that I really focus on, I really don't talk about teaching that much anymore. I talk about learning. And the the reason is that I don't teach like in a K-12 classroom every single day, but I learn all the time. And that's where my focus is. But Katie Novak is still involved K-12 education and, and she, I was like, so I talked to her, I said, what do you think about this idea where I kind of give the big picture why this is important and then you get some strategies. And so it was really a cool process. The, the first part we talk about what's called the, um, 
that core of innovative teaching and learning. And that's, that's, that's all me that shared that idea. But in the second part, I break down each of the eight characteristics of the innovator's mindset, share what, why they're important. And then Katie gives some really concrete examples of things you could do in your classroom from a UDL perspective. And what I loved about working with Katie, which was really interesting because of how we work, I would, and as I think it's how we work and how our family situation is right now too. So in the morning I would get up and I would write stuff. I'd write the first part of whatever chapter I was working on and I would just send it to her the same day and she would wait for her kids to go to bed and then she'd write the other part of it. And we basically, that's how we wrote every chapter. We would basically have every chapter done the first draft within a day because we're both the sit down and just write people. Like we just write. And that was, that was, yeah, it was a process and it was, it was great. And Katie, Katie has become a very good friend of mine through the process and really has pushed my thinking. And I know that I push her thinking too. And she, she provides something that I knew that I, I didn't feel comfortable providing for one part. And I knew, I just knew she was, she was way better at me for that part. And like, she's probably one of the most foremost experts in UDL in the world. Yes, she is. And I love her. I mean, the, well, what I w- was reading through, at first, I love what you share, but let me just go with Katie and then we go back. Mm-hmm. But what she did is she took all of the UDL principles, took them apart, and then she put in real examples yeah. that every teacher could use. I, I hope yeah. teachers, I'm going to make sure I push this out because I want teachers to have it and be able to relate to it. But you did some things. You, I tell you, I'm going back and I just... I read it, then I read it again. There's several things that you did that stuck out to me. And, and they were examples about students who went beyond. Yeah. And I, you have three of them, Kylie, Kenneth, and Marley. Or Michaela, four, actually, that, I, that mm-hmm. stood out to me. Do you want to yeah. share anything about them and why you put them in? Yeah, well, so for, I think part of it, too, is what we really want to say is like, this is possible. Yeah. This is pushing the limits of what we can do in education, mm-hmm. but it is possible. And the way that you can show it's possible is to show students and kids who are actually doing this stuff mm-hmm. and exemplifying these ideas. So in every chapter of part two explicitly, I would use a, um, basically a young adult you know, showing the importance of problem finders or you know, um, empathy. And I shared the one, one of my favorites was the young lady who did the sit with us app. Oh, I, I, I love that. Uh, I can't I, remember I can't, the name. Yeah. And I can find it easily. Yeah. The, she did the sit with us app. And basically what she did is that she would go from school to school to school, uh, as a student, her name is Natalie Hampton. That's it. And what she would do is she'd really struggle with the cafeteria going in and being like uncomfortable asking to to sit with other kids and things like that. And basically what she did was she developed an app, I think she was 15 years old, where you go into a cafeteria of a school and kids would actually already designate, like this is a totally safe um, table to sit with us and we're super welcoming. And so you didn't have to have that awkward discomfort of being turned away as a, as a kid. And I know that could be really tough. Right. So she created that, she created that app. And so that was something that we wanted to really show you. And I think for me, part of it too, was 
it was really trying to be thoughtful of teachers taking those examples and discussing them with their kids and saying, look, someone your age did this stuff. Like this is, this is not out of, out of the realm of possibility for what you could do right now. So that was the, that was very intentional to make sure we included lots of young adult stories um, in each chapter. Well, I, I don't want to give them all away because I want people to read them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there were so many, so many things that, I mean, you talked about some of the things that I'm putting in my book too, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of neat. Um, one is digital leadership and yeah. how to network. And um, you, that's when I was, when you talked about disagreeing with someone, it's that power of how, why it's important to do that, but also yeah. how to be part of a network. Yeah. Yeah. I shared the, I, I shared um, in that part, when we talk about the idea of digital leadership, um, probably about, I think about eight or nine years ago, I wrote the definition for digital leadership. And basically it was, how do you use social media to make a positive impact on the lives of others? And the reason I wrote this is because I, I, I saw a lot of schools focusing on the idea of digital citizenship and cyberbullying, and they were really focused on like things you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to really focus on were things that you can do. And how you could utilize this in in positive ways. And so I I shared a story of uh, a student actually in an assembly sticking up for me via social media, which I thought was a really powerful story. But it was also another student, Marie Copney out of Flint, Michigan. Uh, I think her Twitter account's at Little Miss Flint. And she became probably one of the biggest voices in her community uh, dealing with the water crisis. And she brought attention to it when... Uh, I don't know if a lot of people were really paying attention because I always say this, when kids talk, adults tend to listen. And they, the, she, she's not only like just sharing stuff, she, she, she connected with like Elon Musk. They built water filtration systems in Flint schools. She raised money to give like backpacks full of supplies to kids in the community wow. because she's making these connections. And it was just, it's just, it's just stories like that that really, I think resonate because I think a lot of the stories that I share are things that kids can do today that many kids, when I was growing up, wish we could have done that we didn't have the access to do, mm-hmm. right? Like there is no app store. There is no <laughs> way to connect, you know, like I'm sure, like I distinctly remember specific incidents as a kid happening that were like, I remember the Challenger blowing up. And I remember that specifically and how destroyed I was. We actually had a kid in the community that their dad was the next in line to be on that spaceship. Oh, my God. Or on the space shuttle. Yeah. Really? So it was like actually kind of connected to us. But we saw it because we rolled the TV into the library and kids came around and you just would go home and you kind of stuck a little bit. And now kids are finding ways to see some of these things that are happening in the world and then actually make a significant impact right away. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we had the same access. Like I'm sure we could have done things, but it would have been a lot harder to connect. And And so I think I think part of it is really taking advantage of what's in our world right now with our kids, not having that same mentality of like, what what can we do? We're just kids. Well, you know what? All these stories that you put together and you have at the end of every chapter, you have, uh, you know, the links. But I'm mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, you know, is that you you also send them to hashtag in, innovate inside the box. Is that right? Yep. 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 So they could actually click on those links and things or is that 
the best way or it's, I know I can do it on yeah, my Kindle, so but you could go, uh, innovate inside the box.com and not only does it have like basically links to all, like every chapter and the stories that are shared there. It actually has a book study, you know, for, I know a lot of school districts have already, so that you, I know that sounds weird. So you don't have to like prepare. It's kind of done for you. Now I always encourage people to modify the stuff to suit the context mm-hmm. of the needs, but we wanted just to put everything in one space. And this is the same thing with innovators mindset. I refer to a lot of videos and I refer to a lot of like media stuff that you can't, it's not another book to read. It's like a YouTube link. Yeah. And what a lot of people do, they'll like, someone actually just sent me a tweet and they said, it's taken me about three hours to read the first chapter because I've just have about 20 browser pages open and I'm just looking at all the stuff that's being shared. <laughs> wow. And that's, you know, that's what you want. You want it to be kind of like an experience where it's not just someone just reading the book from beginning to end, but actually, you know, looking at the things, digging deep, maybe creating their own uh, content because of it. And I think we're actually doing an Instagram book study right now. Oh, you're doing and it? The focus really? Oh. Yeah. It's actually going on right now. And the what we're doing with that process is we are basically encouraging people to create media in different ways. And I'm actually trying some different stuff and what I'm creating uh, with content because... And I talk about this briefly in the book, the idea, I'm sure you're familiar with this, Barbara, you've seen the people that talk about like reading a hundred or 300 books a year. And that's great. That's great. But do any of those stick? And for me, I'd rather read 10 books in a year and blog about them, you know, make a video because now these ideas are like stuck in me as opposed to, I'm just trying to get through books to get through books. Yeah. It's a lot of consumption without creation. I think those are two really crucial to have the, have the back and forth. And so I think that's what we're trying to do with this group is kind of take it, not just discuss ideas, but have people create stuff so it sticks with them more. And the, the best way that I can explain this is that when it's, this is really imperative to work we do with kids is that we've, we, we've talked about this still, you know, like we have a lot of kids who can memorize things for a test, but do they understand it? And so if you focus on understanding they're going to memorize it. But if they memorize it, it doesn't mean they understand it. And I think that's the that's what we're trying to do with the adults. And I talk a lot about that, about the importance of not skipping to the teaching without doing the learning and how important that is. Well, all of this, unfortunately, I got to kind of pull it together. But I here's sure. the one thing. I want people to subscribe to your website like I did. I love what you share. Thank you. I think it's like almost every week. I don't know. Do you ever sleep or do you just... <laughs> <laughs> I do lots of writing on planes. That's for oh, sure. Oh, is that it? Because yeah. you just sent one out today. I read. I, I was just like, "How do you do it? It's amazing." So I hope people subscribe and we'll put a link. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. I, I write. Um, for me, this is. I don't do anything. I don't post stuff unless I can consistently do it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say like, I'm going to start a blog and then they get really excited. They write three blog posts in a week and then they come back six months later Yeah, and they're like, well, how come no one's reading? I'm like, because they're not expecting anything from you. So what I do is I, 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 I focus more on making sure I hit certain dates. Like I have due dates of like in my head of, I'm going to have a blog post every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And I'm going to send an email to the subscribers Um, for every Saturday morning. And I do that consistently. And I just started a podcast of my own and it's just me talking for really, uh, yeah, it's just me talking for like 10 to 15 minutes. And I, I've actually recorded, I think eight of them so far, but I've only released four because I only do like 10 minutes. 
Okay. And so it's just me talking about stuff, but I, I release them every Sunday. So we need a link to that. Sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's wow. just the innovators mindset podcast. Yeah. And that, that for me, and the reason why I'm doing that is I'm trying to, I'm trying to really figure out how to utilize and think about how I could use these things in the classroom. Like I actually did um, um, a post on a concept that I talked about in Innovates at the Box. I talked about the three types of education or learning that's crucial for educators. I talked about learning for your students, learning about your students and learning with your students. And I talked about each one of those ideas. And on Instagram, what I actually did yesterday was I just did an introduction less than a minute. And then I did talked about learning for your students less than a minute, learning about your students less than a minute, learning with your students. And what you do is it's like basically four mini like insights, but you just swipe through each, you watch one video and then you swipe and it makes it like sizable chunks. Mm. And the reason I'm doing that is because I'm like, Oh, that'd be like a really cool way for a student to do, you know, like a summary for a book. Like, yeah. hey, I'm going to talk about part one in less than a minute, part two in less than a minute. And the constraints of like Instagram, if you go for over a minute, it goes into like Instagram uh, video or whatever it's called or Instagram TV. So I explicitly made sure that it was under a minute. And so just short, talk about it a little bit, be brief, get huh. people their big idea. Yeah. And so that that's, that's why I... Like even my blog, even my blog, um, the whole reason I started in the first place is because we wanted our students to blog and no one knew what they were doing. So I said, I'm going to go first. I'm going to figure out why this would be helpful to our kids. And, and then I could talk about it from the viewpoint of a learner. And that's always been my mentality with these things. And that's why I said, I don't really talk about teaching. I focus on learning. And then hopefully, you know, if, if you focus on really being a good learner, you'll figure out the, the, you know, good teaching strategies. I think it, the one comes before the other. You're amazing. You don't, you know, I've been <laughs> trying to do this all along, but I can't, I haven't done as much, all that you're doing. And I've never done this with Instagram like that. And so that's great. I'm using Flipgrid. I don't know if you've tried that too. Yeah. 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 And I, I've used, I, I've used, I, I like, I use things like Flipgrid mm-hmm. and I think they're great for me. What I really try to do is like, what's, what is a kid going to use outside of school? That's like, right. what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. And so I think those Flipgrid and you see like things like Google Classroom and et cetera, those are really great training wheel type things. Yeah. But we got to, we got to pull the training Get wheels out, off at some point. Yeah. Out and, of the classroom. And actually, because, you know, I'm not, you see people creating, you know, opportunities for themselves using Instagram, sharing things that someone else had to say, this is okay to for me to share for you. And now we're trying to teach kids how to create those op- own opportunities, but share learning. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not focused on likes. I'm not focused on retweets and stuff like that. I'm focused on like, how does this help my learning? How yeah. does this help my learning? And I could talk about that. And I think that's something that I really try to do. And, and I, part of it, I know this sounds weird. I love doing those things. I think that's fun. Like I, I think it's, it's not just the learning stuff on Instagram. I like joking around, sharing funny videos, stuff like that, because that's what, that's why kids are drawn to this stuff too. And so Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like, Hey, let's like ruin Instagram and just make it all about education. No, let's have the, let's have the fun stuff. Let's do that. But there are also ways that you can use this to, 
share learning. It's, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It like, but let's, let's not take away the, the joy of it either. Well, you got me going. I'm going to, <laughs> good, yeah, good. I'm going to do some of these things, but I, I have to tell you that this has been wonderful. I learned well, I, a lot about you <laughs> and your book and what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I, it's like I said at the beginning, Barbara, I really appreciate all the people you've really empowered through this work and what you share. So it's, I've, um, yeah, it's been an honor to talk to you. And I know, uh, Katie talks very highly of you as well. Oh, so, well, I got to yeah. send in a virtual hug to her because I think she's amazing. And, yeah, she is. And thank you, George. This has been yeah, amazing. Thank you. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with George Chorus. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with the podcast about George. And that's on my website, barbarabray.net. There are links, pictures, and more all about his story, his love of sports, about his family, and especially his books, Innovator Mindset, and his new one, Innovate Inside the Box. When you subscribe to my website, barbarabray.net, you receive announcements, updates, new podcasts and posts, and information about my new book, Define Your Why. That's launching in February 2020. So look for the book, study, resources, and a lot more. You see, your stories, feedback, and reviews have helped me define my why. It's all about the stories. And many of the stories are in my book. So enjoy, and please share your story.